Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And I remember thinking, I've been through quite a lot mentally in my life, but I'd never felt that being on the point of a sort of mental collapse with the pressure and the responsibility of how will I find a roof over my head? And I, I, yes, you're right. I was thinking this shouldn't be happening to me. I'm a professional person and I've worked hard all my life and all those things. But that is the problem and the unfairness with the housing crisis is it's not one of these things that you can say, oh, that person didn't help themselves or that person isn't doing enough or that person didn't make the right life choices. You can do all the right things and still end up in that circumstance. One of the recurring themes that I'm interested in and have spoken about with many of the guests on this podcast from all different areas of Irish life has been the housing crisis. In particular, the inability of hardworking professional people, some of whom are extremely well known um, among the general public, who've done everything in life, quote unquote, the right way in life, who still have no chance of ever buying their own home in this country. Well, on this episode, we finally have a good news story to tell. Longtime friend of this podcast, Larissa Nolan, um, formerly columnist of the year, has spent many years living with her young son in rented accommodation. But 10 years ago, she's, she decided that enough was enough. And for the sake of the family, it was time for her to do everything in her power, everything she could do in order to try and buy a home, buy a place for herself, for them to live in. So things had to change quite radically. At one point, I said, it's now time to think like a man. Think about your worth. Work as hard as you can. Stop giving yourself guilt trips over going, oh, I shouldn't be working 60 hours a week because I should be reading stories or going to the park or something like that. But while thinking like a man got her into um, the financial position to buy a home, ultimately, it was the support of women that made it all happen. If you think of all those women involved in that line, the woman who found me the new place to live, the woman who rented it to me at a reasonable rate... And the woman who sold me a house really reasonably, what all of those people have done, has set a child up for life. And I think they all understood that. And while Larissa's story has a happy ending, she's all too aware that we have a long, long way to go before others like her can also enjoy a similar outcome. The hypocrisy of leaving, you know, women, children, families in this shit show, basically, where everybody's stressed, everybody's insecure, children are growing up in unsuitable accommodation. You can't call yourself a progressive society and do that at the same time. It's a fascinating story and Larissa Nolan will share it in full on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. But first, did you hear the news? Chorley FC. They're a little-known club in the National League North in England. Very, very far down the divisions. But rumours are that Boyzone are launching a takeover bid. <laughs> Sorry, that makes me laugh even saying it. Boyzone are launching a takeover bid for Chorley FC. So it reminds me, it reminds us obviously of the Ryan Reynolds at, uh, at Wrexham and the, um, the McElhenney, I think is his name, um, buying Wrexham. <laughs> Hilarious. But anyway, on the Mario Rosenstock podcast, we got access to uh, Ronan Keating's um, voice mailbox. Jesus. Fair play. You've reached Ronan Keaton. Leave a message. Come on! How are you, buddy? It's Keith here. This Charlie FC thing is brilliant, buddy. But come here. I was looking at all the lads. Their teeth are knackered. They need white teeth when they come out onto that pitch. So I've booked us all in to the clinic in Turkey. 
we can get a top up while we're at it, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Ronan, it's Louie. Listen, thanks for the offer, but how many times do I have to tell you I don't manage football teams. I manage bands. And look, Simon isn't interested either. I asked him earlier. Ant and Deck aren't returning my calls. Good luck, Ronan. You're on your own. <laughs> How are you, buddy? It's me again. Got your message regarding tactics. I had an idea. How about we put our back four all sitting on stools? Then, when the other team attack, our lads suddenly stand up and start singing when they go and get stuff. How's it going? This is Roy Keane. Stop ringing my number at the end of the day. Oh, credit to desperation. I've no interest in your job. Just stop it. Stop ringing me number. Good luck. <laughs> Hello, this is Stephen Kenny. I saw um, an ad in the paper regarding your vacancy for Charlie, uh, Charlie, Charlie FC. Uh, I have experience at international level. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Fair play. Message to self. <clears throat> Idea for song. This is brilliant. Charlie... Is all that you can say. Cheers. Sorry, I shouldn't be saying cheers to myself. Good luck. <laughs> okay, that's, I really hope that story is true. And I hope it runs and runs and runs because I just see um, an acre of sketches uh, to be had out of that uh, going forward. Anyway, uh, let's join Larissa Nolan now and start at the story of her long and eventful journey from being a single mum in rented accommodation to a proud and happy homeowner who's also recently got married for the first time. We met up in the studio just the other day and naturally she was still buzzing about it all and I had to start by saying just simply congratulations. Thank you. It feels like a, a massive achievement and I don't think I'll ever really get over it. It's like the time I learned to drive after 27 lessons. I still drive around going, can't believe I can drive. So I think for the rest of my life I'll be going, I can't believe I have a house. It's only a small little terrace, two up, two down. Um, but I feel that in the current climate, the way things have gone, that that is a huge achievement. Um, I'll explain now, but probably only brought on um, by the sort of kindness and support of a number of other people, uh, which is the kind of thing that comes out in a crisis when you have certain people of, of certain um, mentality and uh, attitude who know that they have to help other people along. There's a lot of that going on with it. But yeah, the I suppose the interesting thing for me was January 2014 and January 2024. If I'd known where I would go from that January and, and then the other January 10 years later, it was a complete flip around. Because in January 2014, I'd been living um, in the place I was, a little apartment, it was, it was grand. I was living there with my son um, for, I'd been living there for seven years. And um, the, the, the details I'll just sort of sum up quickly in that the rent was something like doubled or it went up something like 50 or 60 percent, something huge beyond, uh, beyond my payment ability. And uh, I was told at a couple of weeks to, to pay it because that was the rule at the time. You could put up the rent by whatever you liked and you could give a minimum. I think it was something like six weeks or eight weeks or something. That's all a person had. You had just no rights whatsoever in 2014, which is part of the problem that we subsequently had. But uh, so I remember that day and thinking, oh, no, because a lot of people around me had gotten similar um, eviction notices, essentially, which what that was, really. And they had had really hard trouble trying to find somewhere else to live. This is at the very start of the housing crisis. And I remember thinking, OK, well, look, I'll just I'll. I'm a journalist. I know loads of people. I'll ring all the agents. I'll do everything. I did all that. I spent about a month or two months ringing absolutely everyone, trying every single contact I ever knew. No house was to be found. So it was it was coming to the point where 
the every single I pushed the, the landlord more and more to give me a little bit more time and it was coming up to at the point where we were going to have to move out in about two or three weeks and I had nowhere to go now you could go back home to to my mother out in the country which just wouldn't be suitable at my age and and wouldn't wasn't suitable within our family to do that I could have done it I'm not saying that I would have been at the side of the road but I would have been going backwards to such a degree that I would have nearly been better off declaring myself homeless and staying in Dublin in order to get a house. I mean, if I'd gone back home, I don't think I ever would have been able to get back into Dublin. So it would have been a major regressive step, especially as an adult with a child. It's not, it's just unnatural to be going back home at at that point. So um, what happened was I finally, and this I was saying, there was a series of people who helped me. They're all women, by the way, um, who helped me along the way. Uh, This one particularly wonderful woman heard me talking on my phone one day in the gym and uh, she said, you're looking for a house. I hear I heard your story. I know somebody who's leaving and is looking for another woman to rent it. Uh, so I managed to get somewhere to live. But I remember saying it was about a week or two to go. And I remember thinking I've been through quite a lot mentally in my life, a lot of sort of different challenges. But I'd never felt that being on the point of a sort of mental collapse with the pressure and the responsibility of how will I find a, a roof over my head? Uh, yes, you're right. I was thinking this shouldn't be happening to me. I'm a professional person and I've worked hard all my life and all those things. But that is the problem and the unfairness with the housing crisis is it's not one of these things that you can say, oh, that person didn't help themselves or that person isn't doing enough or that person didn't make the right life choices. You can do all the right things and still end up in that circumstance. So uh, I remember thinking, right, I am never doing this again. I am never putting me or my son in this situation again. This is only going to get worse. I need to do everything I can now to somehow get us somewhere to live. It didn't have to be, you know, a mansion. It, it could have been a, an apartment, but I, I needed to get us somewhere suitable and secure to live. And I made that my my purpose in life. Then. Yeah, no, as you say, I mean, I wrote down two words, three words, three words there. Unnatural and mental collapse. Yeah. And this is, of course, what's happening to millions or to hundreds and thousands of people. Yeah. This unnatural occurrence, which causes mental collapse. Yeah. And can precipitate mental collapse. Um, What did you do then in those 10 years? What tell me your 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 your, the kind of the journey? I think I changed absolutely everything. Um, I will say that I was fortunate in a way to have the wherewithal to do that. There's not not everybody uh, has the wherewithal to do that. Not everybody's in an industry where um, they can work really, really hard to move themselves up different grades and get yourself to a point where you're even in the ballpark. Did park. you? Well, yeah. You started, you, you consciously made an effort to work harder. To work harder, become more ambitious. And at one point, I remember saying, Sorry, I'm sounding like a total feminist here. I'm usually I'm usually not that that kind of person at all, as as you know from over the the the, the chats we've had before. Mm. But I remember at one point I said, "It's now time to think like a man," and I made that my mentality. What is that? Um, think about your worth. Uh, don't accept anything other than what your worth is. Work as hard as you can. Stop giving yourself g- guilt trips over going. Oh, I shouldn't be working sixty hours a week because I should be you know, reading stories or going to the park or something like that. Mm. I realised that at the point of me and my son's life was that um, the benefit had tipped from him having me all the time, which which he had had. I, you know, we'd I'd spent loads of time with him. And the benefit now that he needed was for me to be working, progressing, getting promoted, 
you know, journalism isn't a, a job that you get a load of money in anymore. Years ago, it, it probably was. But that to go as far as I could, to the furthest I could, and even all the opinion stuff that I was doing, uh, you know, I did a lot of column writing. I was probably in every newspaper in the country. I didn't stop working. You were on my radio show, The Sunday Roast, when you, you won columnist of the year. Oh, thank you. Ireland. You're so nice to mention that. <laughs> but <laughs> well, that was a big prize. It was. And uh, again, for me, I felt that was like a little bit of a step on the road to the project. Um, so I... Was this in your mind the whole time? The whole time. I'm watching, so I've changed subject completely. I'm watching a Netflix series at the moment called Griselda. Griselda. So Lovely it's name. Sofia Vergara. Oh, nice. Yeah. And the quote at the start of the show is, there was only one man I was ever afraid of in my whole life, and she was a woman. <laughs> Pablo Escobar. And her name was Griselda. She's a woman who does it in a man's I world. Th- there you go. She thinks like a man. She starts fucking people like a man shooting people like a man, acting like a man, and she takes all the drug narcos to the cleaners. Yeah, well, fair play to her. <laughs> Griselda! I love Griselda now. That's, that's going to be my new name. And I, I nearly was going down that road, uh, Mario. I'll tell you something. I can understand how women... Dealing. No, well, <laughs> d- d- dealing in... in Columnist the- of the year stroke, <laughs> stroke coke dealer. I think I might go for the prostitution, first of all. It'd okay, be kind of okay. handier and more enjoyable. But like, <laughs> I, I honestly can understand how people are driven to do things like that, to get themselves out of situations, to make sure that they have enough or they can, they can keep roofs. Yeah. So, look, that's me um, being slightly silly, but, no, but I can just, understand just the pressure. Just briefly interrupt you there for a moment, and I, I want to listen to you. Uh, and I just... Because that thing, those words I wrote down, unnatural and mental collapse, and it it isn't about having a great house. It isn't having about a fancy apartment. It's a psychological thing about being safe, especially when you have a child. Yeah, safe and to be able to provide for somebody and not leave them, you know, that you've done. The the one thing you're to do for this child is to look after them. And the basics of those are to feed them and to clothe them and to have somewhere for them to live. And if you can't do something like that, um, you know, it's 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 just it's you you just feel like you failed in in every aspect of life. And even if like I see other people and it's not anyone's fault. That's that's the only thing I say. The the basic thing should be affordable, secure accommodation. We've been failed in that as far as I'm concerned by the state and uh, you know the battle to get out of it that's what I keep saying as I was lucky to be in a position that I started work very very young I was working when I was 18 or 19 so I had all this other experience behind me that I could kind of draw in I just sort of put the boot down I went full accelerator and I thought right I need to be basically earning you know a certain amount to even get myself along the road but there was lots of things that happened in between my mother was extremely supportive to me even though I never loaded back in with her maybe she was so delighted I didn't <laughs> load back in with the, with the child on top of her but she was extremely supportive in regards you know uh, just helping out with me and my son and keeping pushing me saying probably prayers to you know uh, whoever the, the Padre Pio or something like mm. that but she um, Who's the patron saint of journalism? Oh, it I do. I actually know who this is. St. Francis, I think. Yeah. yeah. Is it? Yeah, I think it's St. Francis, yeah. yeah. Um, because there was a fella in work with me who used to always thank the Lord when a story came in at the last minute. He'd, he would always thank St. Francis, the patron saint of, of journalism. But, um, yeah, so yeah. your mother supported she you. Was great. She was encouraging. And the, then how did this, how did you progress then? The, uh, just keep on going. Uh, there's, you know, there's other friends of mine who, who uh, helped me out significantly with things like one of the things you can't get when you're trying to buy a house is a deposit yes. because you're paying so much in rent that there's nothing left over. What happened? So without going into yes, awful yes. amount of details around that because I'm not sure I might get myself in trouble but we do what we do. Uh, a very, very close friend of mine was able to help support me 
along, uh, in re- regards to the deposit mm. in I'll be paying that back yeah. but the point is the access to that kind of money yes. is not there for a lot of people it's a chunk so if somebody gives you that even on a loan and you, you know you can pay me back over a certain amount of time yes. that is huge because that has cha- game changed yes. everything That that's a big step I think and I think governmentally if they can help some people with deposits somehow that would probably change yes. for a lot of people yes. so that was majorly important what was also majorly important was the lady who I was renting the house off didn't put the rent up to ridiculous amounts because she knew there was a woman in there with a child and there was only so much Is that the reason? I would say so I would say so. Well, God bless that woman. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, she, once she realised who was there um, and she thought, listen, I'm probably I'm getting enough for this. I don't need to keep putting the foot on top of this person's yeah. head. Um, that enabled me to kind of stay there and build what I was going to do. And then really importantly, the person who sold me the house that I'm in now gave it to me at a reasonable rate because she didn't want to sell to a landlord. She didn't want to sell to someone who was going to put it out in Airbnb or someone who was going to do it up and flip it. Her own mother had been a single parent, which I was at the time. I'm not anymore, but that's an identity shift we might get to in a minute. And um, she wanted somebody in there who was going to raise a family in that house and that it would go to good use. And I thought, oh, if you think of all those women involved in that line, the woman who found me the new place to live, the woman who rented it to me at a reasonable rate and the woman who sold me a house well, you know, really, really reasonably and not grabbing and greedy and trying to get more. Um, what she's done, what all of those people have done has set, you know, essentially at this point, a child up for life. Life. It's more about my son now, I think, than about me. I'm so old that I'm nearly, I've nearly one foot out the door at this stage. But, <laughs> but he is sorted. And I think they all understood that. And I feel that that's the reason why I have a house today. Um, I think of all those things and didn't come into play. And of course, the big project that I had of working really hard and progressing, if all those things hadn't happened, you, you, I wouldn't have anywhere. This, I, we'll play with it for a second, but this this transformation that you did from being a, a, a woman into being, thinking like a man. Yeah. Just, just to use that expression. Griselda, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> or Griseldo. Yeah. Uh, I mean, could you have done that? Could you have done that? Could the, could the, could, could the Larissa of 10 years ago have done what you did? Um, no, because I I was more in maternal mode and not that I'm gone out of maternal mode. I'm still like that. Um, but I knew that a balance had to be struck and that I had, um, I just knew that maybe the balance had tipped into needing to be a little bit more ruthless is too strong a word, mm. but just constantly working, constantly ambitious, doing the best, hard as you can. I do believe that if you do that, it, you know, again, not everyone has the wherewithal to do that or mm. has the position or the job or mm. it is in the industry. But I do think maybe in any job, if you work really hard, mm. um, you will succeed. Um, mm. It's just something I believe in life. I, 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 I tend to agree with you. Um, and it, it, the, the, the answer to your question, the answer to that is that most of the time you're right. Most of the time it, it happens. And the reason for that, I think, is to use a simple word on it, is, is karma. And to, to simplify that even further, it's positivity. Mm-hmm. When you do your job well, when you apply yourself, you do an awful lot of things around that well. Yeah. So, for example, you have you plan, you go to bed earlier. Yeah. You're healthier. This makes you more uh, positive. It also makes you more positive about other people, everything. Work means cooperation. Yeah. Work means working with other people. Mm-hmm. If it Sometimes it means getting people to do things for you to get people to do things for you, you may need to do things for them. Yeah. It's a positive That's experience. True. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, circular kind it's of. It's circular. Mm. And that uh, that emission of positive vibes from you um, constantly, 
sometimes it just inevitably comes back. Even to a point of, a, is there anybody we can do business with around here? Yeah, that girl, Larissa. Everybody, you can do business. Everybody can do business with her. She's a fucking mountain of positivity. Yeah. She does business with him, her, him, her. She's buying a house here. She's talking to that guy there. She's interviewing him. Larissa's a girl who does things. And you become this thing, mm-hmm. um, an entity, who's capable of getting things done. Yeah. That's what you were. That's what happened to you. You became this thing who people associate with, yeah, Larissa can make that happen. And you, you can literally emit vibes. Well, I like to think that. You know, like I like to think that it's that thing of, you know, if you want something done, ask a busy person. That's it. And, and, and it's true because, they'll, they're, you know, they're, I just work all the time. I, I, yeah. I probably am a workaholic. But, I, but I, always, I always think as well that if you want anything in life, and I mean nearly anything, if you f- throw everything at that one thing, you will nearly always get it. Yeah. You, know, you know, I'm not saying, you know, if you wish hard enough, you'll win the lotto. But like, say, for example, when I was in school, I remember being told, oh, I just wanted to be a journalist ever since I was growing up. And I remember being told, oh, there's no way you'll get it. It's a closed shop and you need to have contacts. And I remember thinking, hold on a minute. Even when I was that age, I remember thinking, but if I put every single effort into this and I'm better than everyone else and I work harder than everyone else, surely I can't but succeed. Mm-hmm. And I do think that if you are in any kind of, uh, any industry, if you work harder, what can you lose? That's what I would think. Yeah. What is there to lose? Yeah. Even if you don't get there in the end, maybe your level of success will be different, mm. but you will definitely benefit. So yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. It took 10 years though. Like, so I know that I'm lucky, but at the same time, that was a project that took 10 years of determination and commitment to get there. So how can somebody else, for example, somebody who's new to Ireland, who's only been here for or 15 years. Or less lucky than you regarding, let's say, even your personal health. Yeah, loads of different things. There's so many spanners that could be in the mm. works. But particularly, and I suppose this is just from my own experience and from the people I hang around with, but I would say that there's, uh, this came up in, in a um, human rights um, study. There's two groups, and I would say, what I would call the new Irish. They're my f- favourite people in the world. The best thing about Ireland are the people who have come here, say, in the Celtic Tiger mm. and now they've got kids here and mm. the kids are speaking with Dublin accents mm-hmm. and it's just an amazing, wonderfully exotic names. Mm. Um, how are they, if without contacts and so on, how, you know, if, if you're maybe arrived here and you're working in maybe a lower level mm. job because you're new, mm. how are you supposed to you're, it, there's, there's a word I think it's like you're being kind of socially kept down there's like there's no social um, progression progression um, yeah yeah. so how do you get that mobility. lift up social mobility that's exactly what I was looking for I was reaching for there so it's like social mo- their social mobility is stifled there and it shouldn't be if you've come here to work and hard and pay taxes and all that you should be pulled up and helped mm. to do all those things but well, I feel they're stuck other, there look at it from other countries I mean for example our next door neighbour who has a much longer experience with immigration than we do yeah and you generally find um, they work harder. Oh, yeah, of course, because <laughs> they have to. They just do it. Yeah, yeah they you work know? harder because they have to. Some people take two jobs, they take three jobs. Yeah, I'm always talking about this, the people who work two or three jobs, they're they're silent because they never talk about it. You won't yeah. get anyone doing no. it. They don't care. They're just work, too busy no. working. You, but the other group is yeah. the single mothers, of course, which is uh, yes. the, a growing number. So I often think if you're, do- if you're th- those two things at the same time, if you're, say, you know, come over from another country 15 years ago and you're a single parent, you are going to have a serious difficulty trying to get a house in this country, um, which is just a shame because, again, they work harder than anybody else. Yeah, that's right. Um, you mentioned in, in, in your kind of struggle, battle to get this house, you mentioned women, the help that women gave you. Do you have any observations to make about that? Well, I mean... Yeah, I do, I, yeah, of yeah, course, as usual. It's not men. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think women... 
Um, for example, I'm always wondering, you know, they have all these economists on the radio all the time. Any mm. number of them, you can name them. David McWilliams and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, there's, there's Colin McCarthy. David McWilliams. I, I love doing impressions. <laughs> He's one of the most popular impressions that I do on the show. And I really think women. Hmm. Interesting. As an economic force. Hmm. Go ahead anyway. <laughs> I feel like there's an awful lot of male economists out there. That's great. I'm just always wondering where's the female economist. You're so right. I was no, about to say it. There's none. There's no female economist. There's a little niche there out there. Someone could come in and just t- grab a right really up. Really good point. Larissa. I'm trying to find one. I'd like to use one in my columns because a really good in the features. Point. That's not one. Because when you talk about opinionists, opinion makers, columnists, writers, mm. um, I mean, I've had you on the show. Obviously, I've had Brenda Power on the show uh, and people like that, and you know, lots and lots of women in different areas broadcasting of course um, uh, novels uh, writers um, but no economists no economists I mean there's plenty of them but they're not in the media I don't know why Um, but for example I feel like there should be more of them because as a features editor um, I I'm often looking for different viewpoints on social or economic issues, cost of living, housing all those things and I find that women generally think more about children so they're thinking more about the family they're thinking more about that. Do you remember earlier on the think like a man think? Mm. Think men are thinking about themselves, forward progression, ambition. And that's amazing mm. as well. But the balance would be that you have somebody with a kind of a sort of a, sort of a little touch of socialism to the capitalism. Yeah. And they can say, listen, we're we'll, we'll make things fair on you. Mm. Not to, not giving you any um, leg ups, but just saying we'll make things fair. We won't overcharge you for the rent. We won't overcharge you for the house, you know. We'll help. We'll we'll support each other. And I do when I I feel that women, you know, there's all this bollocks basically about women going. Oh, women CEOs and sisterhood, blah blah blah. The people who go on about that are usually the ones stabbing each other in the back. You know, honestly, women aren't the nicest to each other at times. But I do find that if you get good women who understand financial stress and strain, um, they are brilliant at but helping each other out. I think is are, is what you're saying this that out of a group of a hundred men and a hundred women. You're going to find a larger proportion of women who will spare a thought for family, the community, helping each other, um, the children, for God's sake. Yes. And the children's school, the children's play places, the yeah. green. Is there a green? Is there a, is there, is there a place they can meet? Whereas the, the more than the men will go, how much money are we earning? And, and that's understandable because there's the breadwinner role yeah. and then there's the caring role, which are, they're still there. I mean, that's built into our our, our biology. But yeah, I think maybe because because we women do most of that sort of child rearing stuff. For example, if if the child gets sick in school, it's usually the mother who will go and collect the child. You know, generally, I'm not saying lovely, wonderful dads like yourself wouldn't do that. But we're used to it day to day. So we see, as you say, if this child has to move uh, house they'll have to move schools, they'll have to leave friends. So we're kind of thinking all that out in our heads as well. Just, I feel like the women are generally more inclined towards that. As I say, there's other times where they'll be not very nice to each other at all. But if you have a sincere woman who is sincere about helping other women, this is the area where it'll come out. You found a a, a number of women. You said during your um, remarks there that you had an identity shift and that was your, the, the shift from being your your own personal identity, which had been wrapped up in being a single mom, mm. um, to being not a single mom, yeah, to being with somebody, yeah. So I'm married. You yeah. know, I got yes. married, obviously. Yes. 
everyone knows this now I think mm. I told everybody yeah. about it it was very exciting because I never thought I would get married mm. uh, in my whole life I have I've a thing the other day Mario I said by mistake that I married and met my husband and I went oh I met married and then I realised actually no I married and met my husband that is actually correct well, we, Explain that <laughs> Well we only knew each other for uh, oh, let me see we met at the end of August 2022 and we were married in March 2023 Yeah so that was that's very quick going. Yeah. Anyone who's ever even rang the marriage uh, registry office will tell you it nearly takes six months to get through to them to to book. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, so it was very quickly done, and we just met each other and went. Hang on a minute, this seems right for both of us. And I'd never had that feeling before about anybody in my life. In fact. Mm-hmm. I presume I've probably been on various shows and I know I've written columns about how marriage was not for me and I was actually actively anti-marriage personally, not for other people. But um, I can never understand it. And then it's a bit like, I suppose, falling in love or anything that you discover for the first time. I suddenly realised what this was about or what this would mean. And uh, it was nothing to do with the house, by the way. That was uh, that was my own little project going on um, in the background and had been resolved at that stage. But um, yeah, it just... It just became the right thing for the two of us. Mm. And I'm going to be married on March the 8th. <laughs> this is such a feminist, such a feminist thread running through. So ironic. And I'm Women's never going to. I got married on International Women's <laughs> Day for the laugh. Just for the laugh. It was really funny, actually, because we rang the or I rang the registry woman and she was saying, um, so when do you want to get married? And I said, oh, I don't know, whenever. And she went, no, no, you're ringing me to give me a date. This is the whole thing. Okay. And I went, uh, what's the nearest date? And she said, March the 8th. And I went, Asher, we'll take that. (laughs) And knowing it was Women's Day? I actually didn't really think about it at the time, but I kind of was in the back of my head. Oh, that would be a nice little ironic twist. Yes. Um, But yeah, I was laughing because the the marriage registry woman was going, sorry, is there any reason for your rush? You know, is one of you married? Is one of you from somewhere else? I said, no, no, there's no reason. We just want to get it done. Are you a different person? Now, what I mean by that is you spent most of your life as a single as a single girl and then as a single mum. Yeah. And now you are a married woman, homeowner with a child, with a, with a young boy. Yes. And has that changed in your perception of yourself or indeed in other people's perceptions of you? I forget sometimes and I say things like, you know, uh, uh, you know, us single mothers. And I go, oh, hang on. I can't actually claim that anymore um, because that's a very specific thing in my book. A single mother for me is not somebody who like is, is split from a marriage split and they share duties. That's a different thing. A single mother is a person raising a child on their own. Um, so that's not obviously what I am at all anymore. I'm, as you were saying, I'm a married woman uh, with a husband and my son now has a stepfather, which is which is lovely. Um, but in my head, no, I haven't changed uh, in my head, except that I'm forgetting that when I'm talking about myself, I, can't, I no longer fit into that little box anymore. Um, and that's grand. But I feel like, you know, I just think, that when you do something like this in your mid-40s, it's a little bit different than doing it. It's not, you know, it's a bit of fun. Mm. We had a bit of fun doing it. And Connor, who's my husband, he's gorgeous, by the way. That's why I married him, because he's just really, really good looking. (laughs) 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 And um, the two of us are sort of very laid back and kind of sure what of it. Yeah. Hope you know we 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 we're like we feel that this is instinctively the right thing to do. Have never felt like that before in our lives, and sure, look if it's not, it's not. It doesn't matter. We're forty five and fifty, or whatever, age forty six mm. and fifty, and um and funny that lightness and that lovely open mindedness about it 
is what makes me love him and not want to leave him because there's no pressure. I always thought marriage was some pressure thing. You know, my mother years ago said that when she got married, she felt like somebody had put her into a box, closed the lid and sat on it, um, which is rather the description. Mm. Mm. And um, I don't feel like that at all. Mm. Um, I feel actually buying a house was a far bigger feeling of commitment um, at the age that I'm at. It's like I'm, a, I'm calling myself a geriatric, you know, new homeowner because I almost feel like it's gone past my development. Mm. Um, oh, being married to the EBS is far <laughs> more throwing yourself in yes, a box and shutting the lid that is. than old style marriage, I'll tell you. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to actually tell her that now. Mm. I'm going to say it wasn't the marriage that made me feel like that. It was it was the, the, the home. Iron- again, ironically, the, the homeowning, which is great. I'm lucky to be able to do it. I'm lucky to not be in a rental place where the rent's going to be going up every year as they yeah. can do or that you're facing uh, eviction. But certainly I did find that it was a big commitment and much bigger than marriage and bigger than having a child. So that that's your personal experience. And as I said at the beginning of our chat, I've spoken to a lot of people through the prism of this um, problem. Um, politicians, social commentators, um, journalists and people like yourself, Marco Halloran, Brezzi and all this sort of stuff, Kieran Crazy House Prices and all this who went through a, a, a terrible time uh, as well um, and exposure to all these, th- this, mo- this monstrous stuff. But you've also thought about this a lot and written about it a bit. And from your own perspective and how you've come out the other side after all transforming yourself into Griselda and all this sort of stuff, um, has it made you reflect on the current state of the housing crisis? For example, I'll even start with, are we still in a housing crisis? Are they doing anything about the housing crisis? Are they doing stuff that's not much about the housing crisis? Could they be doing better? If we changed government, could somebody push a button and do much more about the housing crisis? Because I'll warn you before you start this. A lot of the people I've spoken to would say, be very, very wary of Sinn Féin. This is what they would say. Mm -hmm. And I'm open minded about it. But they would say, be very wary of Sinn Féin or anybody who says that there is a quick fix to this solution. Yeah. What's your own opinion? Um. I know, first of all, that Owen O'Brien, who's, who's <coughs> excuse me, sorry, he's the housing um, spokesperson for Sinn Féin. He's been working on this since 2014 because I've been in touch with him since then, trying to help other people out and stuff. I kind of became, over the course of it, a little bit of an advocate for people in the housing crisis. So I was, you know, I know that Owen is extremely sincere about this and has been working on it. It's not something he's jumped on in the last couple of years going, oh, I'll get in on this mm. and we'll, you know, create magic uh, solutions. <coughs> but there's a couple of things there. Um, Yes, I do think it is easily reversible because it's all about policy. And so uh, if you change the policies, you know, the the housing crisis didn't just happen like, you know, an act of God finger came down and pointed at Ireland and said, oh, look, this is going to happen. It's all to do with policies and government policies that were there on purpose to try and get us out of, I suppose, the the economic crash. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there, there were policies laid down and they led to this situation mostly to do with the rental market overheating and then kicking into the, the property market. Um, I don't think that Sinn Féin would be doing anything magical to fix it. I think mm. they'd just be putting in the proper policies. Um, so, yeah, I think it is, I think it is, is absolutely fixable. There's another point to it um, that I think is that it will probably fix itself in the future, maybe nearly anyway. That's a bit of a weird thing for me to say, but mm. I'll explain it. Mm. It's like that, you know, that there's a sociological theory that if you ra- if every sometimes a really bad situation has to be completely raised to the ground mm. until it's absolutely Reaching kind of scorched rock earth. Total rock bottom. 
and then it'll have to build up naturally be mm. out of necessity. Mm. Um, after 10 years of a housing crisis, it's not a crisis, it's a, uh, you know, it's a system. Uh, that's not a crisis. A crisis is a short term emergency. Yes, correct. So uh, it's definitely a system and I think that the system has been proven to not work and then you have people who are in the middle classes who can't buy and the sons and daughters of uh, people who've done all the right things and have private healthcare and, you know, private schools and all that. And they're going, hang on a minute, why are our kids living at home when they're 30? Um, and they're realising that something has to change. So I think when something reaches a really bad situation that it's the worst it can get, it can only uh, come back up again. Mm. Um, so I think that everybody has realised realised that now. There was a, a time, for a long time, for the first five years of the housing crisis, so many people said to me, oh, it's not a thing though. It's not real. It's just, some people just, they're expecting everything and they mm. don't want to work hard enough. And a lot of people said that to me, honestly, until about, I'd say the 2020 election mm. when Sinn Féin did so well. Um, and that's why they, I, I think that's why they came, came out like that because was, while all those people were denying this was happening, there was a whole other set of people who were being affected by it. Mm. I think those people haven't gone away. I think they have only grown. Um, I think Sinn Féin have other problems at the moment now. Um, in, housing is not their issue. Any, uh, it's not their big problem now. Uh, it's other policies or stands they're taking on things. But um, I certainly think that they're very genuine in regard to that, very knowledgeable, and it's not that difficult to mm. reverse um, bad policies. Well, the person that said to you it isn't happening it was wrong, clearly, mm. because the, the relationship between incomes and, and, and house prices yeah. are completely askew to yes. what they were at any stage in our history. Yeah. yeah. From, you know, if you go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, yeah. and even early 90s. Yeah. It's only in the mid to late 90s that things... T- yeah, and even if you look at rental, <clears throat> we are, there was a study there a couple of years ago that showed that Ireland were paying more um, as a percentage of their income on rent mm. than any other country in the world. We mm. topped the world table. So that again is another one. You know, there's there's loads of indicators. Do you remember the, the French government warned uh, students going over or people, French people moving, don't go to Ireland, the rents are too high, you know, all these kind of things. That's not happening for other countries. Michael O'Leary building houses. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. Building buying. the liner, or Sorry, mm. buying. Yeah, he, uh, buying the houses. You know, he was saying that he didn't have to do that for any other city um, that Ryanair... Mm. operate from only Ireland because it's only Ireland has that problem I really commend him for doing that by the way it's quite a a Guinness move or you know Cadbury's did it back in the late 1800s I think uh, buying buying if if there's no if the government can't sort out housing we'll buy for our workers and we'll rent to them at discount prices so I I think he's great for doing that Unfortunately there are uh, uh, there's only one jacks on the housing estate to serve the entire housing estate Uh, there are 10 uh, air pilots to a room and two of them live in the overhead locker Um, uh, so um, they can like it or lump it but I have absolutely no intention of apologising to a liberal lefty pinko liberal social turned conservative like you who's by the way just got married thank you very much and uh, you know is laughing all the way to the bank with our posh job up in Mirror Towers Come, so shut up and let me buy I'll buy your house and I'll stick seven Ryanair pilots in there if you're not careful How much? That, that is uncanny can I just say something else about Michael O'Leary yeah the only other man I would have married apart from my husband oh you, you like him I love him Yeah, I love him and I was at his wedding is it the fact that it? he would look, he wouldn't give a tip at a restaurant if he went out? <laughs> would he? I'd say he Service would. Service was shoddy. I think that he would He would give a tip and he'd put it, he would hide it and he wouldn't tell anybody because he's just so great, Michael O'Leary. He's never wrong, by the way. Michael O'Leary is never wrong. Of course I'm never wrong. Can, do, do you know that I, I've, I, I sometimes <laughs> holiday at a similar place that he does? Oh. And I've had occasion to meet him. And our sons used to play, at one point, our sons, both 
his son and my son were playing in the evening football match at the holiday resort. Well, anyway, the crack that was had. So suddenly his son would get the ball and Michael O'Leary would be out onto the pitch. Ref, what the fuck do you think you're doing? That was a penalty to my son. How dare you give him a yellow card? Oh my! Really? <laughs> it was a touch of that, yeah. That's brilliant. No, he's he's a great character. Like he's, he is. I love the way he's just not afraid of anything. But yeah. but I also just thought he was. I just thought he was real sexy. Yeah, he's, uh, he's irrepressible. Yeah, I mean, and the, irrepressibility is fun. Is 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 attractive? Irrepressible and um, what else is he? He's um, he doesn't care. He's uh, what do you call that word for? I'm gone a bit mad today. I can't think of think of my words. Um, he just doesn't care for irreverent. That's irreverent, irreverent, irrepressible, mercurial. No, not mercurial, but um, he's charismatic. Yeah, very, uh, very clever, um, very common sense. But yeah, I mean, the great indignity was I was sent by the newspaper at the time to, to, to actually cover his wedding. So I had to stand outside the church and watch the whole thing happen when I was going, you're marrying my husband. <laughs> <laughs> but I got a better uh, one. I got a right. better one. Right, right, right. Look, I'm marrying somebody who's low, low fare uh, wife, but I have an absolutely priority pass over there with Larissa Nolan if, if it's ever required. Um, so... Yeah, the, la- the other thing, the last thing I suppose we want to touch touch on was that I, I keep on saying on this on this this podcast that ha- an economy, a, an economy. See the way I use the word, the economy. I use the wrong word. A society, I should have said. A society isn't working. Too many of us use the word the economy. Mm. See, this is, yeah. this is part of your male economists. Yeah, economy, we go around society. the economy, the economy, this, the economy. No, we're not an economy. We're society. Yeah, we're a society full of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not working. Unless the person who um, cleans up our wound when we go to hospital, the nurse, and the man or the woman who hopefully stops us from getting mugged on the street, the guard or the vanguard, Mm -hmm. if they're married and they can't buy a house together, what hope do we have as a community? This is is exactly it. The whole thing falls apart. Because they are both paid by the state. Yeah. And if they are married and fall in love like you did with Connor... And they want to buy a house in Dublin, not live with their uh, mother down in Clare. Yeah. Which would be difficult if they have to come up to Dublin every day. To <laughs> <laughs> um, what kind of a community and, ha- and a country are we living in, you see, if that happens? And what what happens is, and it's, it's, I wrote this down at the very top of what you said, social catastrophe. It's not so much economic catastrophe. It's psychic and social. It's mm. psychological catastrophe. It's people who don't know who they are, who are sad, who are unhappy, depressed. I'll use the words mental health. It is an issue. Yeah. People who, if you're 45 years of age and sneaking your girlfriend into your mum and dad's house, you've yeah. got a mental health issue as much as anything. I mean, you, you can't sustain that. You do. And that's another thing I'm always saying. We can't call ourselves this progressive society. Mm. Oh, we're so great voting this and that. Voting for things that don't cost us money. You know, all these kind of things. Oh, that's great. I'll say yes to that because it won't cost me money. You know, it, it, uh, but but then on the other hand, the hypocrisy of leaving, you know, women, children, families in this shit show, basically, where everybody's stressed, everybody's insecure, children are growing up in unsuitable accommodation. You can't call yourself a progressive society and do that at the same time. You're right, Mario, we have been focusing too much in, on economy at the sacrifice of society. And that has to, to rebalance. I feel that it will naturally because Irish people are good people. Mm. I saw that in my own situation. And you see it... I think there was a study in the Sunday Independent poll, a Sunday Independent poll recently, where they were asked. Mary Lou Macdonald had said, "All houses should cost an average of three hundred thousand. And quite bizarrely, as far as I'm concerned, members of the government were coming out saying, "This is ridiculous. This is this won't work." And the poll asked people, 
do you mind, you know, people? the, the, the argument was, oh, people will see their property prices fall. Mm, mm. And most people, I think it was two thirds of people said, we don't actually mind if our property prices fall. Mm, mm. Um, if other people can get a house. Is that correct? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah like, see that, and that makes sense. That to me is Irish people. Yeah. What kind of person goes, oh, hang on. No, we must keep the prices high because my made up figure of what my house costs must stay the same. Mm. Uh, oh, doesn't matter. Your man over here, though, he, he can't get a house. That, no, people don't think like that mm. in general. So that goes to show you, people in Ireland do want to see fairness um, and they do want to see people who work hard and, you know, do their best mm. to get the basic, a house they own themselves which is more important now than ever in a situation where rental is so insecure. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think Irish people do want to see that and whoever, you know, that, that would be obviously a main uh, a main driver of the, the election result. I still think it'll probably be the main driver. Mm-hmm. Okay, Larissa, listen, um, it's really great to hear from you again. It's really great to see you come in and on the podcast. You're looking great, sounding great. I'm delighted for your marriage and I'm delighted about the, the, the story of the, the, the battle and the story of um, the home which you, which you finally managed to get. And you got married on March 8th. Yeah. And um, March 8th is, I think it's the date of the referendum this year on the women's, women in the home referendum. Yeah. That's something I'll discuss with you off air if you wouldn't mind coming in and talking to me about that because I've been reading some of your notes and I'd be fascinated to talk to you about that. And it's this referendum that's going to take place about the wording of the um, Article 42.1 and 41.1 as well um, in the Constitution and amendments to those. And I'd be very interested to hear your opinions on those if you'd be so kind as to come in and talk to me about it. I will indeed. Closer to the time, it would definitely be a, a good uh, discussion um, to thrash that one out. Brilliant. Okay. And listen, great to see you and congratulations. Thank you, Mario. And my thanks to Larissa Nolan for coming in um, and joining me on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. And of course, uh, to you for listening. MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. If you have any comments, um, critical, constructive or otherwise, or any encouragement or ideas for guests, suggestions for sketches, etc. Please get in touch. We hope to get Larissa back in about a month's time because we would have a very interesting conversation to do with what's coming up on March 8th, which is a referendum that's meant to be held. Uh, on the subject of the uh, women and and their place in the home in the constitution in Irish life and how that may or may not be amended according to a referendum and there's a very interesting conversation to be had around that I think anyway thanks to you for listening um, and see you same time same place next week